33-37 says this, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Pray with me. Lord, I ask that you help our yes be yes and our no be no. Lord, thank you for your faithful example of always um, being true to your promises. And I ask that you help us to have the same desire to be honest and to be faithful to our word, Lord. And more than that, I ask that you help us to know that all authority to make anything happen comes from you and not from ourselves. It's in your name that I pray, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start this morning with a question. All right, think about it. I want you to answer it. Give thought. Give earnest thought to it. When do we first learn to lie? When do kids first learn to lie? The old answer used to be this. The old answer was that the moment they could talk, they could lie. But research from the University of Sacred Heart in Tokyo has lent credence to a new notion that kids, children, little infants start lying when they're crying at times. That they can give out this, uh, some of you know where we're going, they can give out this fake cry. and They're actually not in distress. What they want is their parents' attention. So if you run to that little one and you hug them and you offer them consolation, uh, deep down in their psychopathic six-month-old soul, they could be just laughing at you. Just know that, okay? Uh, we learned to lie at a very, very early age. Years ago, now we were, we, were, we were a family of five as we are now, but we were, four of us were on the road on a weekend trip. I was driving, Susan was passenger, and our two, our middle child and youngest child were in the back seat, and we heard a slapping sound. And then after the slapping was a crying sound. Our youngest cried, and he leveled the charge that his older sibling, his, our only girl, his only sister had slapped him and Haley denied it as if Wesley slapped himself. And so she said to me at one point when she was making this earnest uh, defense, this plea, she said through her tears, daddy, do you think I would tell a lie? And I, you know, I was operating heavy machinery but I got weak. I got weak. I had precious cargo. I just got, well, oh, the red hair, the blue eyes. Do I think she would lie? But then I summoned the courage just in the moment. Sometimes you get it right. And I go, I go, well, yes, yes, I do. Mostly you tell the truth, Haley, but sometimes you're a little liar. And Susan goes, whoa. And I thought, you know, I hear that woe some, and that woe usually is, yeah, it's been, but the woe wasn't where I thought it was going to go. The woe was like, you know, she does that on me too. Good job. And I thought, don't, I, I, I didn't just think I said it to her. I said, don't get happy over there because you're a little liar too. And then she said, well, you know, you're a big fat liar sometimes. And then we, a family conversation ensued thereafter. Now, I'm lying about the second half of that illustration, but not the first half. Or do you know what I'm lying about? I don't know. What's true, right? But no, for real, the first of that really did happen, and some portion of the second half uh, of that did happen. But look, we lie. 
We lie. When you take masquerading and hiding and rationalizing and justifying and denying and minimizing and all these things, and then when you get into gossiping, you throw some lies in there to make it juicy because we live in a breaking news world. It's got to be juicy. You've got to escalate it. And we, when, you consider, when, you, when you consider a lack of openness and honesty and transparency, when you leave something on the table that should have put, been put out there, look, we, we, we lie. Um, all around the world... Uh, places of uh, leisure with green grass and usually meticulous landscaping, places of recreation, oftentimes affluence. There are people, generally men, who lie a lot. I was in a men's group one time. They said, if, if you play golf or fish, you lie. And there's a question that gets asked on these places of recreation. Uh, the question is this, what'd you get on that hole? Now that question lends itself to lying. You ever heard this? Ever said this? What'd you get on that hole? Put me down for a five. <laughs> now that is just interesting language, isn't it? Put me down for a five. That's, you went somewhere different. Like that's not a little, put me down for a five. What's the idea there? If, if I say six, I'm going to, now I got a six or seven, but if I say six, that's just, that's going to make me look bad. But if I say four, I'm going to look like a big fat liar. So five becomes the Goldilocks of lies. Not too big, not too little, just right. Put me down for a five. Here's the thing, that happens all the time. I've been there. It happens all the time. And here's the thing, you and I at the heart of lying is we, we don't want to look bad. And so we would rather be bad than look bad. And so too many times we lie, we lie, we lie about it. Here are some top lies. You can find this on the interweb. I'm fine. You ever said any of these? 930 was really guilty. You guys are probably going to skate through this. Top lies that we use, most common lies that we use in our everyday vernacular. I'm fine. I was stuck in traffic. You look great. My, my phone died. It was on sale. I'm on the way. I didn't touch it. I have no idea where it is. Those correlate together, those two. I'll try to make it. I only had one drink. It didn't cost that much. This old thing, I've had it for ages. And then the, the censure, I would never lie to you. Common lies, how many of those have you told? How many of those have you heard recently? Man, those are part of us. And we lie. We fudge our numbers. We uh, pad expense reports. We cheat on our taxes. We tell lies like these and corollary lies. And it just becomes a part of us because we would rather you know, avoid looking bad. So we'll just choose to be bad. Now there's a verse, 930 did so good. I hope you'll join us. Okay, I want to hear you. I want there to be a decibel level here. But I want you to, before you go, even though, and Lily read the passage, Matthew 5, to 37, that's where all this is flowing from because in this sermon series, Reconsider, we're asking you to follow Jesus and his teachings. You have heard it six times, he said in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And today we come to the part, as she read aloud, we come to the part where we're talking about being a true teller keeping our word and just simply speaking in plain language being a person that people can follow 
and trust. And it's very interesting that Jesus, when he talked about anger, he, he went back to the big 10. He went back and said, you shall not, you have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. He went back to one of the 10 commandments. When he, when he talked about our distorted desires or our lust, he went back to the big 10. He went back to the 10 commandments and said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you. And then when he talks about being a truth teller, keeping our promises, he doesn't go back to the big 10, to the 10 commandments. He talks about oath keeping that you'll find in Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus in these places and that Jesus would say uh, here and then James his half-brother would say in James chapter 5 and verse 12 about keeping our oaths just speak plainly and so oath in and of themselves let's take all these verses in context oath in and of themselves are not evil oath making and keeping can be a good thing but it's when the meaning of this is when you become flippant or profane in keeping your oath now the religious people would not swear by God because you wouldn't want to do that so they would swear by Jerusalem by earth by heaven by the their head the hairs on their head etc etc so they would and so for us it, it may be like this going back to our childhood I promise when are you lying Usually, when you say, I promise. Put me down for a five. I promise. When we say, I promise, there's probably something there that's where we're not being fully transparent. Hey, hey, I promise. And more times than not, it can be a manipulative tactic. I promise. Cross my heart and hope to die. Finish it, church. Stick a needle in my eye. And that was, that's a childhood form of an oath. In other words, notice the manipulation there. You'll be at my funeral. I'll be, dead. I'll be the dead guy in the, in, the, in the casket. And I'll have a needle in my eye because you didn't believe me. I promise. I promise. And so we make these oaths. And we say, I promise. Believe me. Believe me. And oftentimes, the truth is not in us. So here's the verse. Again, 930 did great. Y'all follow along. You're going to, before you go today... I want you to read what Lily read later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 33 to 37. But I want you to memorize this verse, and you'll do it before you go. You'll have it nailed before the end of the service. It flows from Proverbs 11:3. We're gonna. It is in Proverbs 11:3. We're going to break it up to you, and it goes like this. The integrity of the upright guides them. So you heard my voice. You see it on the screen. The integrity of the upright guides them. So repeat after me. The integrity of the upright guides them another time or two the integrity of the upright guides them all together don't look at the screen just look at me say it all together ready all right some of y'all are kind of sneaky there i saw one guy you know a little bit of me a little bit of the screen okay i love it the integrity of the upright guides them question for you what guides you Sit on that just for a second, like for real. What guides you? What is it that's out there that says, no matter what happens here, that's where I'm going. That's what matters. Everybody is guided by something, by someone, maybe by many things. And if you don't know what guides you, that in of itself is worthy of more heart exploration. What guides you what's the north star the navigational thing out there in front of you the integrity of the upright guides them one more time out loud the integrity of the upright guides them so what guides you could it be personal comfort you know that's a big one today and a lot of lies come from personal comfort hey we're going to be there we signed up but showing up eh, that's a different that's a different story personal comfort i want to do what 
I want to do. It's about me and what's comfortable, comfortable for me. I'm not going to worry. My first priority is not the people counting on me. It's me and my comfort. It could be financial security. Um, it could be looking good. A myriad of lies come from wanting to look good. You know, there's a personality type in the room that is more uh, wired toward lying, toward deception. And I was reading about narcissistic personalities, about uh, psychopaths and all, and you look at the characteristics, and I was reading a modern version of those characteristics of people that lie a lot, that are incapable of bonding and attachments, of truth and honesty. And it says that the characteristics mirror what the Proverbs teach, a multiple, a multitude of Proverbs. Uh, th- these people could have a, a charming personality and high intelligence but poor judgment and an inability to learn from mistakes. Oh, I got a charming personality, high intelligence, but with that, there's poor judgment and an inability to learn from my mistakes. Look, let grace abound today as we hear this. The integrity of the upright guides them. What guides you? Is it personal comfort? Is it financial security? Write the word anxiety down. If whatever causes you anxiety, it points to possibly idols in your heart. What did the great John Calvin, the Reformed theologian say? The heart is a, it's an idol factory. All of us produce idols, things that we run after, things that guide us. And inside of us, it can be true. It is true for all of us. What guides you? What causes you anxiety? Anxiety, then write the word next to anxiety, write the word security, because whatever you put your security in causes the most anxiety. You know, Poor people can be just as materialistic as rich people. And if money is the thing that's causing you worry, that's the thing that you're putting too much security in. It could be looking good. It could be your personal comfort. It could be something we didn't mention. Remember what Jesus taught? Now, we're in Matthew 5, 33 to 37 today. But Jesus would teach in Matthew 6, famous for many of us. He would say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all these things will be added to you. What were all these things? All these things are referenced to the things that we run after, to the things that cause us anxiety, to the things that make us worry, to the things where we're looking for our security. So you've written down anxiety, then you wrote down security, then write down the word priority, because that's your priority. Those things, that will point you. What you're worried about points you to what you're making a priority. So seek first the kingdom, and all these, well, Jesus, I can't, I got, I got this, I got this, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. This is getting choked out of my life. This is a concern for me. I got this and this and this, and I got to go after this. And I'll throw a little bit of Jesus in there. And Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. What is it that guides you? What is the North Star, the navigational North Star? And let that guide you. Now, it says the upright. In other words, the, all the renderings as I studied the word usage uh, in the Hebrews from Proverbs this week, that uh, it really is, it's, it's the opposite of being a slouch. It's the opposite of being bent over. It's looking ahead. Last night, there was a wedding in the, this church right here that I didn't preach. And Laura told me, she goes, I said, who's the pastor? Because I always like to know who's wearing my microphone. She said, who's the pastor? And uh, she goes, man, I don't know, but he's tall. And she was not lying. Laura never lies, by the way. The, she's the best non-liar ever. Uh, we'll talk, I'm, I mentioned you in the 9.30. I'll talk about it again. But look, he, look at this dude. Those groomsmen are tall, by the way, very tall. This dude was 7'2". 
seven foot to another picture, I think from, there he is, look at that. Y'all know that, see the pulpit? It's like right here. It's like when I bring it out, it's like right here. You know, I'm like, but look at this, seven foot two. The upright means that you're standing tall. The, the usage there in that Proverbs, the integrity of the upright guides them. All right, enough of that guy. The integrity of the upright guides So tall guy, whether you're t- seven foot two, and I'm guessing you're not, all right? If you're shorter than seven two, no matter your height, you're, you stand tall. And that's the picture that you would, listen to me, you would look up and you would look forward and you would do what so few people do. You would take the long view. You would take the long view. You would look ahead and realize that what's happening right now is not the final story. It's still being written. And the desire for immediacy, you need to interpret it. Because what's guiding you, let me change that, who's guiding you? Who are you ultimately following? And who you're following in the gospel, Jesus wants you to take the long view. And can I tell you, that's gotten me through a world of hurt. That has helped me in some regards preserve my integrity. That's helped me from gossiping about somebody, from making a poor decision about somebody. I was in a meeting several years ago, and it was a big, big meeting in the life of our church. And the leaders, we call them elders now, like the Jedi Council behind the scenes. And they were, they were around me in this meeting, and a lot was at stake. This property was at stake. There was big dollars and a lot that we had been hoping and praying for and there was some tension in the room and some things that were happening uh, that I wouldn't want to get into but anyway uh, they were we went to Babalu me and my guys went to Babalu after the meeting and right when we sat down to order the guys looked at me and they go Robert we're proud of you you didn't say anything I was can you imagine that I was in a meeting and I didn't say a word the whole night some of you, you I'm lying now like you're Preachers lying about a sermon on lying. But they were so proud that I didn't speak up. They knew that in that moment, in that meeting, I needed to be quiet. I needed to be restrained. And I needed, and the only way I could do that was not them putting duct tape over my mouth, but was taking the long view. And even though these things have happened, there's something out there that's bigger than what now seems so big. But once I get further down, I'm going to look back and it's going to be kind of small and petty because God's got it. Because where God guides, he provides. And when God gives you a vision, man, pursue it. And to quote Nehemiah, don't come down off the wall. Stay on the wall and stay at it, but take the long view. Now, okay, so we got the first half of this verse. Are you ready again? Look at me, not the screen. The integrity of the upright guides them. Okay, let's all, let's, uh, 930 did better, come on, make up for it. The integrity of the upright guides them. The whole verse in me, Proverbs eleven three. but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them now you're like oh I can't do it I can't memorize it before I go you got this it's just not words you use all the time although when I was a little boy I used to drive to see my grandmother or ride with my parents to see my grandmother in Belmont Mississippi anybody know Belmont little Tishomingo County we would go through Amory Mississippi anybody know Amory and there was an accountant I'm not kidding you there was an accountant in downtown Amory called Tommy Crook you can't make that stuff up would you trust him with your taxes The crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Think about seven foot two guy. Think about standing erect. Think about taking the long view. Think about looking forward and looking out and having the long view of life. But then think about being bent over. Think about crookedness. The word treacherous, some of the meanings render like a blanket or a towel that you throw over something. Don't look there. Don't look, put me down for a five. Don't look there. I don't want you to see that. And so it's a crooked path. 
but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys him. I want y'all to get that right. You ready? Say it with me. Say it after me. But the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Y'all looking at me, not the screen, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. I'm I'm literally pointing at some of y'all who didn't do that right the last time. All right, y'all ready for everything? Look at me. No, look at the screen. You need it this time. The integrity, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. I think there's a literal meaning there. In a whole bunch of years of being a pastor, and I love this, I don't, I'm not worthy of my job, I'll tell you, but sometimes, uh, many times, someone will say, hey, would you go visit my dot, dot, dot? Would you go visit my mom? Would you go visit my brother? Would you go visit my son? Would you go visit my daughter? Would you go visit my friend? Would you go visit my spouse? And most of the time, especially pre-COVID, it was, would you go visit them in the hospital? But 10%-ish of the time, it's, would you go visit my brother in prison? Would you go see my dad in jail? Would you go visit my son in the institution? And there I have been at and presided over funerals where you've seen the crookedness of the treacherous that has destroyed them. And be careful. Look, be careful if you have a, especially if you have a charming personality and a high intelligence but you combine that with poor judgment and an inability to learn from your failures. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. So the Bible, everybody knows, even if you're not a religious person, you know the Bible's full of characters. And the Bible is full of liars. Can you think of some liars in Scripture? Just start, just start naming them. Adam lied. Y'all know the funny videos? I was going to show one today, but it'd be a waste of time. Y- y'all look at them anyway uh, when you should be doing serious things. You look at the videos with the kids. It's like, a, you know, like an example would be, hey, little Johnny. You know, and Johnny's this big. Little Johnny, did you eat the donut? Who ate the donuts? Johnny's got donuts all around his face, you know, donut coverage around his face. And I, not me. And then she presses in. The mom presses in to Johnny. And it's, you're just like, oh, he's so guilty. What a little liar. He looks silly. He's viral. And he looks silly. But you know, could that not be how God looks at you and I? Adam, where are you? Where are you? I've preached this in our faith series, but it's a question not so much of of, uh, location as it is a question of information. Not proximity, but your soul, like of clarity of what's really happening inside of you. Adam, where are you? What did you eat? I didn't eat that. The woman, the serpent, boom, 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 boom. So Adam lied and Eve lied and Cain lied and Jacob lied and Rebecca lied and Isaac lied and Abraham lied and Noah lied and Moses lied and David lied. You don't even have to be a person of faith. You could probably tell us David's lie. And Samson lied and Ananias and Sapphira lied and they were struck dead right then and there, but that's a, that's a different sermon. But p- people lied, lie and lie and lie. But today in the balance of time we have, I want to I go to the Mount Everest of lying. I want to go to this story of Peter in Matthew 26. And if you have an open Bible, you can turn there, but all these verses will be up. And I'm just going to rattle through them quickly with reverence for the scripture, but the understanding of the clock. Peter answered him, this is Jesus before the resurrection. Pay attention because I'm going to ask you a question. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die, circle that word, die, even if I must die with you, 
I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the thing. Energy has a way of rubbing off, doesn't it? You don't want to look bad, so you're going, if he, you'll lie. If he's lying, you'll lie because you don't look bad. You'd rather be bad than look bad. Let me ask you, here's the question. I promised you a question. Do you think Peter was sincere? Not Judas. Do you think Peter was sincere? Sure. Yeah. Peter was sincere. Let's skip down. This is a few hours later. It's in, uh, we put this in our Bibles. Uh, The numbers were not in the original, but here's uh, Matthew 26. A few hours later, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. Things that Jesus said had come true. And a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. Now, we're, we're talking about truth-telling. We're talking about being a person of integrity. We're talking about how the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. And here's Peter, I think, was very sincere. But Peter says, I do not know what you mean. Can you see the rationalizing already happening? I don't, he, didn't, he could have said, I don't know Jesus at this point. But, so this is the beginning This is the beginning. And when you have a breach of integrity the first time, it's much easier to have a breach of integrity the second time. And when you have a breach of integrity the second time, you better be careful and I better be careful because there could be a pattern of falsehood. And the Bible calls it deceit and it'll destroy you. Peter says, I don't know you, verse 71. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Now, backing up to verse 71, Peter, this is uh, people in CIA and FBI and criminal justice and even coaches and parents to some extent who have to get to the bottom of it. Lawyers and judges in a courtroom. Cross-examination. When someone is lying, they begin to tell you with their body what their mouth is not saying. So mouth is saying this, treachery, don't look over there. Let me look, you, let's look over here. And Peter with his body is telling something that's happening in his soul. In his soul. He's getting out of the, the main and he's moving away because when you lie to someone, you don't want to be close to them. When you lie to someone, it's hard to look at them. And how, by the way, did Peter go from I will die to I will lie? 72 we read it he denied it with an oath i do not know the man notice the detachment and lying will do that to you he didn't say jesus he didn't say my savior he didn't say the rabbi who's taught me so much who man i was fishing one day and we weren't catching anything and then we threw our nets over here and we caught everything not he didn't you know it was i don't know the man and the distance of the detachment when you're living and i when we're living in falsehood it's so palpable and it's so painful Verse, uh, the next verse, and after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them. People from Mississippi can feel the pain for your accent betrays you. Peter, like Jesus, was from Galilee. Galilee was kind of the lower rung. This is true in our day today. If you're from the south, people will think that you're not as intelligent as people from the north. Mississippians, we... Got a strike or two against us, even before we get out there. Once we open up our mouths, it's like, are you, are you smart? 
And that was sort of, that was sort of the Galileans. That's how they were known. Uh, today in our day, Southern folks toward the bottom, this is perception. Y'all know this is my home. These are my, you're my people. Um, I think you're smart, but we just don't seem that way. So Southern folks can be at the low of the perception, the status. And then I, I learned this week that Swedes, people from Sweden are considered to be, with their accent, the smartest. Friday night, I went to a ball game. And the first half, I stood in the end zone with Chris Mixon, our student pastor, who was cheering for both teams because of the people he ministers to. And then I went to the sideline or, or to the 50-yard line and sat with my son. And I noticed a guy that I sat next to. I'd just seen him on TV. I'm like, this guy... I just saw him on TV. I saw him. I'm pretty moderate politically, if you don't know. And, but I'd just seen him on Fox News. I'm like, that guy, i just seen him on Fox News. And so I said something subtle like, hey, dude, I just saw you on Fox News. And really smart Englishman. And what's really cool, this guy, as he began to talk to me, and we had a lot to say in the second half, every time he talked, I'm like, man, he's smart. But here's the thing. Football to him is what? Soccer, like it is to most of the world. And he didn't know much about football. So he was making observations and asking my son and I questions. I'm like, man, he doesn't know football. This is funny what he doesn't know. But man, he sounds smart. He sounds smart. And here's my point. I'll I'll deviate a little bit. But Peter was recognized by his accent of Jesus. And here's the thing when it comes to falsehood and speaking the truth. The noose was tightening. And that's what happens when we live in falsehood. The noose was tightening around Peter. Let's go fast. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Wait, what did Jesus say in Matthew 5? I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the sayings of Jesus. I ask you if you thought he was sincere. This This is me proving his sincerity. Before the rooster crows, you would deny me three times. And he went out, here we go, and he wept bitterly. I think because he was sincere. And if you've ever been anywhere in the vicinity where you've said, I'll die. And then you find yourself going, I'll lie. This was the feeling. In Mark, now there's 28 in our Bibles. There's 28 chapters in Matthew. There's 16 in Mark. So let me go to Mark 16, 7. And this is like the end of Matthew 28. But go, tell the disciples, after the resurrection, this is on the beach. They were about to have fish and scrambled eggs and mimosas on the beach mark 16 7 but go tell his disciples and peter he is going ahead of you into galilee there you will see him just as he told you now historians and scholars much much smarter than i have pointed out how beautiful this is because you see peter wasn't a king peter wasn't a soldier peter wasn't this purebred elite person peter was a backwoods fisherman uneducated with a funny accent and Jesus said here's the kingdom and if we're not careful we miss this because the Pontius Pilots and the Herod the greats get left on the ash heap of history but Jesus said this is how I'm going to build my church Petra and the gates of hell will not prevail and Peter was on his way to preaching a sermon after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit showed up and thousands of people would be saved in Acts chapter 2 it's the goal of all preaching if anybody is preacher or going to be a preacher one day uh, it, they were cut to the heart oh the word was preached and they were cut to the heart and that was Peter and I can't help but think that Peter when he wept bitterly maybe he hearkened back Though he was uneducated in schooling, he was really smart. And I bet his memory served him well. And as he wept bitterly, I bet he remembered what Jesus said in the fun part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Now, we're preaching all this, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't, you know. We're doing the not sexy part. 
But in the fun part of the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And some of you are weeping now. Some of you are in a bad place now. Some of you are sad. Some of you are broken. That could be the very place where you find happiness. Blessed are those who mourn. The kingdom of God, man, we we get this wrong so many times. We think it's the shiny, pretty, perfect people with status. If you were like class president and got a perfect score in your ACT and you were homecoming queen and cheerleader and starting quarterback or whatever, that's probably not the same person. If you were, if you were that or some of those, like Jesus can still use you, but he's looking for people who realize it ain't about them. Blessed are those who mourn. So today I want to ask you, as we begin to round toward home, I want to ask you, what is your relationship with truth? Scripture, you're probably not surprised, teaches us a lot about truth. It tells us that in Romans that we can suppress the truth. We can exchange the truth for a lie. We can reject the truth. In Acts, we can distort the truth. In James, we can deny the truth. In James 5, we can wander from the truth. Uh, We can, in 2 Timothy, ignore the truth. We can always be learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Know anybody really smart, they just can't get their heart engaged in their cynicism, skepticism, unbelief. But here's the thing, I don't have it up here. Great thing to take a picture of. I don't have it up here, but here's the beautiful thing. James chapter one tells us that you can humbly receive the word of truth and it can be implanted in you. And that word of truth, Jesus would say in John chapter eight, can set you free. And that truth he prayed in John 17 can sanctify you and cleanse you. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Appropriating, understanding your identity, understanding it, learning it, identifying with the identity of who God says, not living according to the lies. And being set free by the truth. It can be true of you. There's a very interesting passage in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 29. And it's talking about idols and images and such and it says see they are false ever been there where like man i thought this was true and i was going after this and this is what i wanted and this is what or who i thought would make me happy and then there's a moment like yeah it's false see it took you a while to get there but it's false you had to learn but it's false their deeds amount to nothing their images and this is the language that i love their images are but wind and confusion so a few questions I'm going to have the team begin to come up, make their way up. And in a minute or two, you'll hear music. We're going to have you stand and open this place up for prayer. But just a few uh, thoughts for you this morning. And would you, for a second, just do your best to not worry about what's next. And do your best to not be concerned with the person next to you. And do your best to genuinely think about your life. In what ways are your words wind and confusion? People don't know where you're coming from. People don't know where you're going. And Jesus would teach in John 3, he would teach with Nicodemus and crew. He would say, the work of the Spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from. That's the work of the Spirit, which is a good thing. Don't box in God. Don't plan your life and schedule and finances and everything where you don't have room for God. Because the work of the Spirit is going to surprise you. Positive. But Isaiah, when he talks about the, their words, it's, fall, it's wind and confusion. You ever been around anybody like that, man? They talk, but you're like, what? what? Wait, I, 
where, where are you coming from? Where, where are you going with that? And there's confusion. Let me tell you, that's pain. To be that person is pain. To live with that person with no, uh, no progress and no promise for the that's pain. Where, what do you mean? Where are you coming from? In, in any way, are your words like that? Does, do you need these words of Jesus today? Man, you don't have to say, I promise. If you're having to look at people you love, I promise, I promise this time. Stick a needle, cross my heart up, stick a needle in my I promise. Jesus is just saying, we read it today. He's just saying, just say it. Just say it. Second. Next. What do I need to do in order to let my yes be yes and my no be no? What needs to happen for that to be true? Would you stand with me? Psalm 32, verse 2, throwing this at you. And then we're going to go back to that verse that we've memorized. This is my appeal to you. Because everybody in the room, some of you are like, I don't know if I want the truth. You know, I'm going to fact check the preacher today. I'm going to fact check the CDC. I'm going to fact check CNN. I'm going to fact check Fox. I don't know who's telling the truth. You know, there's alternative facts. I don't know what's true. All right, I'll give you that. But everybody in the room wants to be happy. Happy is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Hey, liar, liar, your pants have been on fire. Jesus forgives you. The culture may cancel you. You could be in a John Gruden doghouse with people. But there's a savior that says, I'll take the backwoods fisherman, the one with the funny accent, who denied me and was on the Mount Everest of lies. And that's the person I'll use. That could be really good news for some of us today. It's good news for all of us, by the way, but for some of us where you're at. And happy, blessed is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. Because when it comes to integrity, it's not infallibility, it's credibility. You won't reach infallibility, but everybody in the room can move toward credibility. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I texted Susan and she didn't text me back. It took, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, probably 10 minutes, but it felt like 30. And then I got a group text and then she laughed at the group text. And then she commented at the group text. I'm like, okay, I see how it is. Like, it didn't respond to me, but the group, because it's like funny, right, then okay. And so I thought the Lord needs to work in her life through me. And so I approached her later in love, of course, a model of grace and perfection. And I said, hey, babe, you, you know, you responded to that text, but not my text. And she goes, I didn't get your text. And I thought, okay, the Lord really wants to use me in her life because she's lying. And uh, proof's in the pudding. So I, I, I took her phone. And you know what? I was room. And she was like, on my phone, you're saying, and my phone, it said delivered. But on our phone, it didn't come through. She needs a new phone. But look, we all work this thing out, don't we? All of us work it out. And nobody's going to get it right all the time. So when you mess up, own it. Okay, right here. Mess up, own up, clean up. No one will be infallible. But all of us can move toward credible. All of us can. When you speak, can people count on you? 
So let's pray together and the altar is open. The invitation is open. We have time on the clock. Let God work today. Father, would you move in this place? There are needs all around. There's pain in every pew. There's a brokenness and there's stuff that's just right straight up pertinent to what we've talked about today. And there's so many other things flirting about, so many other things weighing us down. Lord, would you work in us? Would your spirit work in us today? Lord, for these moments, Lord, would this be a place of prayer where we reserve these few moments to speak to you, for some to cry out to you. And you be honored. I pray that people would leave changed today. Look up with me if you would, and let's all say it together. The integrity of the upright guides them. The crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Let's pray today. The cameras aren't going to capture you. My microphone will be turned off. If you want, like people did at the 930, this, this altar is open, and we, we're down front. It is our honor to pray for you. Anything today, any decision you have to make, any direction you need, come today. Let's be obedient to him.